Acts 17, verses 16 through 31. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was so greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenian and foreigners who lived there had spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant to the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they could, would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Lord, give us the boldness, strength, and power of your word in our everyday lives. I want to say hey to everybody here, uh, all of you in person and online. And you know, online we've got people in state and out of state. And uh, wherever you are. We count you as faith family, and we want to help you, uh, those of you here and those of you online, we want to help you become deep, daring, daily disciples of Jesus. That's our vision. Uh, with my retirement being a few weeks away, uh, I want you to say it again if you didn't know, but Faith Westwood's incoming pastor will be Cindy Stewart, and her first Sunday here will be July 9. Uh, Cindy's a great fit for Faith Westwood. And I know you're going to love her. She's a great person, and I expect her to have a long, fruitful ministry here. Uh, each Sunday this month, we're praying this prayer that was written by John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. And uh, as if you've been here the previous Sundays, you know I've added gestures to it, but I'll show them to you now. But I need you to stand with me if you're able to do so. And I'll just walk through the gestures. You can try them out if you want. Uh, first two hands open one upon the other to stand for grace upon grace and then one hand forward and open then the other hand forward and open with it then both hands over the heart and then both hands open and reaching out okay 
Now, if doing, distract, if doing gestures just distracts you, don't worry about it. You don't have to do them. But, you know, if you want to, just give it a try. All right, let's pray. Oh, God, seeing as there is in Christ Jesus an infinite fullness of all that we can want or desire, may we receive from him grace upon grace. Grace to pardon our sins and overcome our iniquities. Grace to justify us and sanctify our souls. And grace to complete that holy change, that renewal of our hearts, which will enable us to be transformed into the blessed image in which you created us. Make us all acceptable to be partakers of the inheritance of your saints in light. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. And I kind of messed up some of those gestures. Oh, well. <laughs> in, in 2005, a study was done uh, about the beliefs of teenagers. And most of these students thought that they were Christian, but their actual beliefs were somewhat different. The sociologist who conducted the study coined a term for their belief system, uh, called it moralistic therapeutic deism. Sounds like a disease, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, what is it? Moralistic therapeutic deism is not just about teens in 2005. It's a generic religion that represents many, many Americans. It's moralistic because it has a basic though not entirely uh, biblical or Christian morality. Uh, it's, it's, philosophy is just be good, be nice, be fair. That's good enough. It's therapeutic because the goal of life is to be happy and feel good about yourself. It's a form of deism, which means God doesn't really get involved much in the world. I mean, you can call on him in a crisis, but otherwise he's not going to get in the way. You're in charge. Moralistic therapeutic deism can masquerade as Christianity, but it will not tell you to repent of your sins or live sacrificially or endure suffering or, or tell you who or who not to have sex with. In other words, God's not going to get involved in your personal life except to help you when you get in a jam. Moralistic therapeutic deism is not the Christian faith. It's it's a watered-down, lukewarm faith in a watered-down, lukewarm Jesus. Last Sunday, I shared with you a, a summary of the gospel that I've been working on. I, I'm still working on it. I'm still tweaking it. And some of you know I'm a continual tweaker. <laughs> uh, anyway, I posted it on Facebook uh, this week, and I made a few tweaks since then. It's exactly 100 words, and I'm calling it now the one-minute gospel. Here it is. With love for his lost creation, God has kept his promise to Israel by sending Jesus, the Father's eternal Son in human flesh. Through his victorious life, death, and resurrection, Jesus has defeated God's enemies and established God's kingdom on earth. By his atoning sacrifice on the cross, all who repent 
and receive him by faith are continually freed from idolatry, forgiven of their sins, filled with the Holy Spirit, and given transformed hearts. Today, his church follows him, pursuing holiness, discipling the nations, awaiting his return on the day of judgment and resurrection when Jesus makes all things new. This is the gospel, my friends. This is what God has done. This is the message worth sharing, worth sacrificing for, worth suffering for, worth risking our lives for. This is the message the apostles announced to the nations. And it's the message we have received and believed and that we announce today. This is uh, week six in our nine Sunday series called The Adventure, uh, where we're following the Apostle Paul on his three missionary journeys. And uh, today we're uh, talking about balancing boldness and respect. How do we do that? How do we balance boldness and respect? Uh, also throughout this series, we have a, uh, a theme verse that we come back to every week. Uh, it's Acts 13, 4. And I think maybe some of you have already started to learn it by heart because it's pretty short. Here it is. Will you say it with me? The two of them were sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. And just like Paul and Barnabas in this verse, you and I are sent out to be witnesses for Jesus led by the Holy Spirit. This morning I want to propose to you the following affirmation. Here it is. I am sent by the Holy Spirit to be a bold, respectful witness for those who don't yet know Jesus. That's quite an affirmation, isn't it? It's either true for you or it can be true for you. And it's also the heart of today's message. It's the big thing that I want you to take home, so I, I hope you'll write it down, take a picture of the screen, uh, talk about it with your friends and your family and your faith group. I am sent by the Holy Spirit to be a bold, respectful witness for those who don't yet know Jesus. Years ago, I, I, a young woman who had been raised Muslim uh, wanted to learn more about Jesus, and, and so did her husband, and I had gotten acquainted with them both, and uh, I'd been guest in their house many times. After he died, one Sunday she surprised me by coming to my church, but she didn't come alone. That day she walked in and brought five friends with her. Now, she was not even yet a Christian. I mean, she was kind of moving in that direction, but still hadn't affirmed that yet, but she was amazingly bold enough to bring friends with her that day. Will you say this affirmation with me? Try it on. I am sent by the Holy Spirit to be a bold, respectful witness for those who don't yet know Jesus. You know, in, in Acts uh, 1, verse 8, it's a very well-known verse. It, Jesus says that, uh, though, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me wherever you go. Now, 
Today, uh, in this series, we are midway through Paul's second journey. So I'm going to put up the map so you can see the geography. Uh, Start in Antioch of Syria. They're kind of going clear up through Asia Minor, where Turkey is today. Then they cross the sea and head uh, into northern Greece, uh, Macedonia. And today, they end up in Berea, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Uh, But agitators from the previous city, Thessalonica, find them and stir up all kinds of trouble for them. So a few of the new Berean believers take Paul down to Athens. Silas and Timothy will come there and join him as soon as they can. So let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Grab a Bible that's in front of you. If you brought your own, have it on your phone, that's great. Those of you at home, I hope you can uh, find a Bible and follow with us. Um, You know, I think what a beautiful city Athens must have been in the first century. You know, 400 years earlier, Plato had founded the the world's first university there, although it had been destroyed by this time. Uh, Still, Athens was the intellectual capital of the Western world. Athens is also a religious center in the first century, home to the Parthenon, still very famous. Uh, Maybe some of you have seen it, uh, dedicated to the goddess Athena. So Athens, Athena. Athens is also the official residence of many of the, of the gods and goddesses of Greece. Now, Paul, he arrives here, and he, this, this, this bothers him. Because everywhere he goes, he sees idols and shrines and altars to these Greek deities. Now, of course, Paul also goes to the, to the synagogue there uh, to teach the, the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks And he reminds them about the prophecies in Scripture about the Messiah. And then he tells them how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies. And then between Sabbath days, he goes to the marketplace and starts talking with people and meeting people and starting to develop friendships. And he bumps into a group of philosophers, Epicureans and Stoics. Who are they? Now, the Epicureans are probably not that far removed from today's moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, Epicureans are sort of atheist, deist. I mean, if they do believe in in, uh, divine beings, they believe that they're so distant and and unknowable and unconcerned about us that it doesn't really make any difference. Epicureans say the best thing that we can do is get on with our lives and be as happy as we can Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The Stoics, on the other hand, are a bit like Buddhists. They believe God is near, but not personal. They believe that in everything that exists, there's a divine force of rationality. And by living in harmony with this inner force of rationality, life will go better for you. Okay? So, Paired alongside these two philosophies in Athens is the popular religion of the day with all of the gods and goddesses, and you have to keep giving offerings to them or they'll give you bad luck. And part of worshiping the gods is engaging in sexual immorality at their pagan temples. The philosophers, you know, they're kind of interested in hearing more about what Paul has to say. They don't understand it yet. And they they take him up to this famous stony hill 
uh, in Athens called the Areopagus. It's still there. Uh, our, our author, Luke, then gives us the outline of Paul's message. And I want us to see today how he balances respect and boldness. Okay? So, if you got your Bible open, let's, let's start with verse 22, where Paul begins by pointing out the positive. All right? Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Well, at least there are many idols that show that, that they're eager to please the divine beings. The problem is they don't know who God really is. In my, in my group last week, uh, one of the guys said that he had talked with a, a woman one time who believes, kind of like the Stoics, that God is everything and in everything. And she said to him, and you're God too. And, and he replied, boldly but respectfully, one thing I can tell you with absolute certainty is that I am not God. Now, Paul is doing what a, any competent missionary would do. He starts by uh, respectfully making a connection with his listeners. He tells the Athenians, the only God worth worshiping is the one they don't yet know, who is inscribed on one of their altars as an unknown God. Paul says, let me tell you about this God. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, I love how bold Paul is here. All your temples, even your beautiful Parthenon, which part of it is still standing today, he's saying, that won't help you know God. The ancient Greeks also have their creation story, uh, and it's rife with conflict between the gods and the, and the titans, and, and humans were created to bring daily food to the gods. But Paul, has a very different view based on Scripture. Verse 25, he says, And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. And then Paul adds that, that God has been leaving us clues about himself all along, just waiting for us to notice and pick up on. Because he wants to be found. And verse 27 says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. Doesn't this sound like good news? And it's, it's true news today. God is reaching out to you. God is reaching out to you, just waiting for you, hoping that you will reach back. The one and only true God wants to have a personal relationship with you. And then I think Paul shows great respect again, uh, dignity for his listeners by quoting two of their own poets because he wants them to know that, that not everything they've been taught about God is wrong. Verse 28, he gives this quote 
For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. You see, this tells me that Paul has been listening. And he, he, he knows where they're coming from and what, what influences they have. And listening is one of the most respectful things you can do, right? A woman in a previous church um, one Sunday asked me if I would come and talk with her husband. I'd never met him. Uh, but she said he was trying to sort some things out. I said, sure. So made an appointment. I went to their house. Uh, his wife introduced me to him, and then she quickly went off to another part of the house because this was just going to be a conversation between him and me. And he told me about his story, that he had grown up Roman Catholic, uh, but with his scientific education, he had set his faith aside. And now he wondered if this was a mistake, but he didn't know how to find his way back. Could, could faith, the Christian faith, be reconciled with, this, with his scientific understanding. And uh, so uh, all during our conversation, I mean, I can still picture being in their house. And uh, all during the conversation, he was drinking strong, strong coffee and uh, occasionally stepped outside for a cigarette break. But I want you to know I found him so interesting. I loved hearing his questions and, and, his, and his honesty and his doubts. And, and I told him, I, I've had to work some, through some of these same questions myself. And I also knew that he was going to need more than a two-hour talk. <laughs> he needed a friend. And so in the next few months, we started to meet at his place uh, a little bit more. And then over the next few years, we would... Uh, every once in a while, every month or so, we'd get together at a coffee shop and we would just talk about stuff. We'd talk about everything. And eventually, he started coming to a, my small group with me that I was leading, and I would pick him up and we would ride together so we could talk on the way and back. And uh, in the group, it was so great to see him build new friendships and then conversations where we talked about the Bible and we even prayed. Uh, you know, all this time, I'm, I'm just trying to be patient, but I'm also persistent. I don't want to give up on him. I want to be bold, yet respectful. And finally, and this is kind of cutting a long story short, but it finally came the day when he told me that the, the door of faith in Jesus had opened for him and that he had walked through it. And I can't remember exactly my response, but it's probably something like, hallelujah, you know? And, and our friendship and our conversations continued after that until he died. This is the kind of thing that happens when you, when you sign up to be a, a witness for the Lord. You know, so I'm going to put the, the, the affirmation back on the screen and, and kind of point to yourself even as you hear me say it. I am sent by the Holy Spirit to be a bold, respectful witness for those who don't yet know Jesus. Paul, so after quoting the, the Greek poets, uh, he kind of gets bold again in verses 30 and 31. Follow along. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day 
when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. What does it mean to repent? It means to change your mind and go in a new direction. And God is calling us to repent, to change our mind, to go in a new direction. And, uh, to, and I'm inviting all of you to do that even now. To, to turn to him, to turn away from life without him, life on your own, life in your own direction, and turn to him because there is a day of judgment coming. And if you receive him by faith, you will be set free. You will be pardoned from your sins. You will not perish, but have life. Life now and in the age to come. Do you believe that? Will you receive him by faith? Some of you say, well, I don't know. I've kind of been on the edge. I've been hanging out but I haven't really committed myself one way or the other. And I go, okay, that's fair. What are you waiting for? Is there something you're waiting for? There's no better time than now. There's no better day than now. Let today be the day of salvation. Let's pray about that. Dear God, what a wonderful, beautiful thing that you are calling people everywhere. You are reaching out to us and just leaving us clues and hoping that we'll reach back out to you. And Lord, you're calling us to repent because you know that we need a new start in life. And we all have things that we need to repent of. And so, Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm thinking especially right now of those who are listening, who are here, who don't know you yet. And I ask that you'll give them courage to, to turn away from all of the idols that are worshipped by this world. And Lord, give them a new direction, a new start in life. And let them know that, that without you and trying to run their life their own way, it only ends up as a dead end. And it's time to, to turn to you and put you in charge. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you'll give all of us the courage to not give in to our fears and our insecurities because you have promised us that by the power of your spirit we will be your witnesses so today Lord uh, we're signing up okay if, if you really want me that bad I'll do it you're gonna have to show me how Lord but use me guide me let me be a blessed friend show me how to be a good listener and help me when I don't have the words to say, Lord, help me to have the right ones. And now let's join together in this kingdom prayer that Jesus taught us. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.